All right, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Dave, and uh, so good to see you. Boy, Jed, you got a full row over here. I can see why you're not sitting with them now. And uh, so great to be here today on this Foundation Sunday, the last Sunday of the month. And I'm so thrilled to have Jed uh, in the spot here leading the way for this campus, uh, doing a great job. A little bit of a setback, a setback. You might be wondering why Jed's not up here. He was up here, but he has some limitations. Right, Marsha? You're enforcing those. And uh, he can't, uh, he can't uh, preach for that long or have some screen time. He's having some eye issues. So we need to keep praying for you, brother. And we're going to do that. Uh, for healing, as you said. And it's great to see Kyle, Kyle, our new student minister here. So hopefully uh, you guys can get to know Kyle and his wife, Jessica. Kyle, raise your hand. People are looking at you. <clears throat> he's got the um, shiny head up here and uh, he's already doing a great job. We're so thrilled that our, our team here is full up, fully staffed, and we are ready to go. Amen? We are ready to go. So get to know uh, both of these guys if you haven't. And uh, let's, let's make this campus, let's, let's grow this campus, let's reach the people in our area for, the, for Jesus, for the Lord. And so we can, uh, we might have to bust a wall out right here, right? Let's do it. Well, today uh, we are in Foundations. The premier verse for this, the verse from which we spring is back in Psalm 11, when David was advised to go run to the mountains because... The attack on him was going to be so great. It's going to be, it was going to be unbearable. And uh, David said, no, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run. He said in Psalm 11, verse 3, he said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I don't think he was asking that in a, uh, a giving up kind of way or a, you know, it's over kind of way. I think he was, I think he was posing the, turning the question back to the, uh, to the questioner, to the one who was advising him to flee like a bird to the mountains and saying, no, we will not run because we know God is on our side. And if you read the rest of Psalm 11, you can, you can read how David comes to that conclusion. Why would we run? Why would we flee? Why would we shirk? Why would we back off? Why would we shrink away? We can meet this challenge. And so we use that uh, as a, a, a verse to spring from for this, what we call foundations, which is a year long, every last Sunday of the month, because we believe that although the devil is aiming for the hearts and minds of our kids and even ourselves, for your life, for your marriage, we believe that although today... Social media and uh, mainstream media and uh, even public education, some private education, uh, our world, our culture is attacking our values. I don't know if you agree with me. I don't know if you believe that, but I'm telling you, it's happening. It's happening. And so we got to do something, don't we? We need to do something. The church can't keep doing church the way it's been doing it for the last 50 years. Because let me tell you what the last 50 years has, uh, has gotten us. Statistically, 7 out of ki 10 kids who are active in the church, who are here today, 7 out of 10 when they go to college or when they go out there to their life will throw the towel in on their faith. Now some of that is because they want to live a life without 
restriction. They want to live without mom and dad. They want to live the way they want to live, and they just got to give this a try, and they got to give in to their friends and have fun. But also some of it is because they're hearing, they're being challenged. They're hearing things. They're being challenged in their faith. They're being told that Christianity is a fairy tale, that, that it's a crutch for weak-minded people, that smart people, intellectual people, the people who are independent and want to do well in this world, they, they don't buy into that nonsense. The, they are free thinkers. And God doesn't have a place in that because God is restrictive. God doesn't go along with science. And so what we've been trying to do, and also God, you know, he, he, he doesn't let you live the way you want to live and marry who you want to marry and be who you want to be. Shame on God is what they're saying. Shame on your God. We know better, don't we? We know that God's way is the best way. And listen to me, uh, we're bringing the students in for these Foundation Sundays, and uh, one of the things we've done that I'm still mixed about in our model of ministry, still not completely sure about, and you know, we're always, we're, we're trying to get things right, is that we take our students out of the service every single, uh, every single Sunday. We do that the second service. Now, some, some students, at least in the beginning, were coming to the first service, uh, with their parents, and then maybe their parents were going to serve, and then they were going to student ministry. But a lot of students, we had a conversation about it this week, didn't we, Kyle, a little bit about, about the, what are we doing to our students that they never be, they're never able to sit in a service with their family and hear, uh, hear the preacher. <clears throat> not that the student minister is not going to give a good word, but sometimes we need to, we need to all be together and hear the word uh, from, the, from the lead guy, Right? And so uh, we decided to bring you in here to make you suffer for the last Sunday of every month. Did I say suffer? I meant to say succeed is what I meant to say. Succeed. And uh, a lot of us grew up this way. We grew up sitting through uh, a, an hour of Sunday school and then an hour of church. And we're fine. We, we lived. So the question we're going to ask today, the part of the uh, foundation's topic that we're going to cover today might be the most important topic it might be. Uh, it, it, they're all important. They're all, does God exist? That's important. Did God create everything? That's important. Uh, what is, do you have a purpose? Did God make you in his image? That's important. Did he make you unique? Male and female? What about the Bible? Is it true? Can we trust it? It's an old book. What about science? Does science and faith work together or are they enemies? We can't believe in God and love science. All these are important questions, but the, I think this might be the most important question because the, the answer to this question will determine your eternal destiny. And uh, just a little coaching for Steve. Eternity's already started, brother. Eternity started the moment you were conceived for you. Your life from that moment was already going to live in eternity, whether you die prematurely, regardless of the decision you make about this question, you're going to live in eternity somewhere. Eternity started at your conception. Amen? You, you became a living soul. And so, here's the question. Uh, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Seems like a simple question, but this is the question that will determine not only your eternal destiny, but your life now. 
if you, if you know who Jesus was, and we could say who he is, kind of talking about the historical Jesus here, but we believe Jesus not just was, but he is, uh, it, what you believe about that, the answer will determine not just your eternal destiny, but how you live your life, right? Choices you make, what you watch, what you listen to, where you go, who you hang out with, the career choice you make, all sorts of things, everything in your life. So that's the question we're going to answer today, and uh, this is a good question. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and guess who preached that uh, sermon? Uh, he preached the whole series, but he preached the sermon. Uh, Jesus did. So who was he? And so the answer to this question is going to give those words in the Sermon on the Mount either more weight or less weight, depending on what you decide. Now, I understand that most of you believe the way I do about Jesus. Most of you do. Some of you may still be undecided. But I'm convinced that most of you here already know the answer to this question. But, but here's what we're doing with this foundation series. We want to make sure you know how to answer this question. We want to make sure that you can hear what they're saying so that you can respond to them. This is the very reason I attended. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I attended the Metro Valley Pagan Pride event last week for about an hour. I was there for an hour. I was there for an hour. I did a couple loops. I smiled a lot. I was kind. I picked up some trash. I interacted with some people. And uh, I didn't engage anybody in any fighting. I didn't throw any Bibles at anybody. I just, I just was, uh, I hope someone said, well, you know, he was a nice man. He was a nice man. I hope they said that, planting seeds, for, perhaps, with the people I had conversations with. So that's kind of the environment Jesus was in when he asked the question we're going to ask today. In Matthew 16, Mark chapter 8, he was in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and it was a, it was a pagan God-rich uh, place. I mean, there were, there were uh, lots of religions that were practiced in this area where Jesus was. He made his way up there with his disciples. He took them with him everywhere he went. That was the nature of the, of the rabbi teaching his, his people, about 12 was the normal size for a, a, a school. Although there were many, many others, those 12 got to see the inner circle. They, and then there were three who really got to see all the big stuff. And so, in this atmosphere of gods and goddesses and religious expression and worship of these gods in many different ways... Many different ways from stuff we can't talk about today uh, in, our, in our service. Perverted stuff. To worship their God. To, to stuff as simple as uh, taking a little bit of incense and throwing it on, uh, uh, on a candle to acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. In this context of Baal worship and Pan worship and all sorts of gods and goddesses, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he asked them this question. He said, hey, and, and I'm elaborating a little bit here because this would have been understood. Hey, you, did, you, did, you see that? did you see that temple down there? You understand what they believe? Did, did you see this idol over here? Do you understand what they're all about? You know, the apostle Paul stood on Mars Hill one time and uh, amongst all those pagan idols and, and uh, 
the people were worshiping, and just in case they missed one, they put one up to an unknown God, and Paul said, I want to talk to you about that one. I want to talk to you about that one. You don't know him, but I want you to know him. And so Jesus said, um, hey, you've seen all these people. Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? And this, is, this is interesting. We, we won't get really into it, but this is an acknowledgement from Jesus that he knew he was making some kind of an impact on people that they would talk about him. They would say something about him. What did Jesus know about what was going on around him? I think, I, I think he knew the answer to the question. He usually knows the answers to all the questions, right? Uh, students, it's like when your parents asked you a question. Did you clean your room? Guess what? They probably already know the answer to that question. Does any parent here want me to call anybody out? Did you do your homework? Did you do what I asked you to do? Jesus, Jesus knew the answers, but he asked this question because he's teaching something to his followers. And there was a flurry of responses. Some people said, well, hey, you, John the baptizer, come back to life. You know, he had been killed for his uh, calling out the, uh, the, the ruler. Some people say you're Elijah. Or maybe one of the other prophets like Jeremiah or, or Isaiah. You're reincarnated. Jesus said, okay, all right, all right. He said, but that's what they say. What about you? He said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And again, this question would determine their destiny. Peter, who often answered first, <clears throat> you know, he said, uh, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, here at Gateway, and I suppose at other churches, when someone makes a first-time decision for Christ, they've never trusted Christ before, uh, this is what we call the good confession. We, we, have, we have them repeat this. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. It comes right from here. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so this is a big statement. This is, this is Peter getting a little bit ahead of everybody else, saying, hey, I know. I know who you are. Maybe it came easier to him because Peter was the one who had walked on water. You know, somebody calls you out of the boat and says, hey, come on out here. You got to really trust that guy in order to do that. I mean, that's either really, really foolish or really courageous. Trusting Jesus. And by the way, a lot of your life will look that way to people. It's either going to look really foolish, really stupid, really dumb, or it's going to look very courageous, courageous faith. At Jesus' bidding, he helped feed over 5,000 people. He saw Jesus whip the animals out of the temple and chase out the money changers. Once when he and uh, the, his buddies were in a boat and Jesus was taking a nap, taking a nap. Can you believe that? Jesus taking a nap. Alfredo, we don't take naps, do we? Every Sunday, amen, brother. Taking a nap. And the storms came up and the winds blew. And they woke him up. Don't you care about us? We're going to drown. He got up. He said, fellas, come on. He calmed the storm and stilled the waves. They said, who is this? Who is this man that even the waves, the winds and the waves obey him? And they were learning. So Peter came to the conclusion, I know who you are. But 
For the sake of this discussion, I want to tell you what some of the folks out there that you're going to run into are going to say about Jesus and some of the folks that historically have said about him through the years. First of all, they'll say, yeah, we like Jesus. Jesus was a good man. He was a good man. I remember being on my first deployment in, uh, in Iraq, <clears throat> and I became friends with some of our interpreters, and they were, they were good guys, but they were Muslim. They were Muslim. And uh, my prayers and goals going in there was that I was going to be able to talk about Jesus. And I had this, these notions that I was going to save the Muslim world. Uh, you know, I was going to bring the whole Muslim world to Christ. I was going to introduce them to Jesus. <clears throat> and so I was going to start with this one interpreter. And he said, oh, you don't have to tell me about Jesus. He said, I know Jesus. We love Jesus. We love Jesus. And I had to go back and study more because I'm like, I didn't expect you to say that. I didn't expect you to tell me you knew him and you loved him. Of course, they know him as a good man, a prophet. Special, but not God. God wouldn't dirty himself by coming into human flesh. And that's, that's the Muslim view about Jesus. <clears throat> but, you know, there are a lot of people today who think Jesus you know, was a good guy. We ought to you know, I'd hang out with Jesus if you were here today. He's the one that came up with the golden rule. How many of you know the golden rule? Anybody? Golden rule. If you have the gold, you make the rules, right? That's not it. Do you know Jesus' uh, version of the golden rule was not the first time it was around. There were actually rabbis and other teachers who came up with a version of what Jesus came up with. And just so you know, what is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Little Opie Taylor said, <clears throat> do to others before they can do it to you. Remember that scene? But there was a rabbi who came up with that, and he, he kind of put it differently. He said... Don't treat others like they've treated you. Jesus said, do unto others as, they would, as you would have them do unto you. You see the difference? There's a difference. There's a big difference. And we'll get to that in our Sermon on the Mount series. But you know, that indicates that Jesus was, he wanted people to get along. He wanted to treat people right. And uh, he was a friend of the poor. He was an advocate of the downtrodden. He gave attention to help those who were down and out. Everybody liked Jesus. The common people liked Jesus. The, it was the religious leaders who had it out for him. But Jesus walked through the crowd with compassion. They liked him. And I don't know if you know uh, what Jesus was saying about himself, but over 80 references in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself by this one title, it's, it's the Son of Man. You know where this comes from? The Son of Man? It's, books have been written on this. But it basically comes out of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has this vision. And the Bible says in this vision, he sees one like a Son of Man or the Son of Man. Approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And this Son of Man was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is, not, is one that will never be destroyed. So we believe Jesus was that son of man. And at that moment, 
It was when the Father gave the Son all authority. You know, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all, all authority has been given to me. When? Then. In Daniel chapter 7. Now, there will be a day, according to the book of Revelation, where the Son will give all authority back to the Father. But now, the Son has all authority. The other day, I was looking through some material uh, at our St. Albans campus and it was uh, some children's material, and I looked at it, and it had some, uh, some titles on it, but it didn't mention Jesus. It, didn't, it mentioned God. It mentioned God. And you might think, well, that's, that's good. It mentioned God. But you know, let me tell you something. People will let you talk about God all you want to, but the moment you start talking about Jesus, they get uncomfortable. They, they get a little bit antsy. It's like, come on now, don't push your religion down my throat. And so I, I talked to, uh, to Cassie and said, hey, we need to... We need to put Jesus in here because we're about Jesus. It's good to be God. Now, Jesus was in there, but he just wasn't at the, at the top where he needed to be. Amen? Jesus needs to be at the top. All authority. So over 80 times he uses this, this phrase to refer to himself. And so it would, have been a clear, it would have been a clear marker for those who heard him to say, oh, he, so you're the one Daniel was talking about. Another phrase he used is, I am. I am, when Moses asked God, hey, uh, what, what if I go to my people and tell them, you've asked, uh, told me to lead, you've, you've told me to lead them out of Egypt, what, what I, I tell them that your name is? And this was Moses, kind of his last excuse. And God said, tell, tell them, I am who I am. That's what you were saying to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This is my name, I am. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so this name, I am, it kind of sounds like the word for breath in Hebrew, Hayah, came over to us as Yahweh, Yahweh. This name is so sacred that the Jewish people today will not write it or say it, not the Orthodox Jew. That's why in your Bible, when you see the word Lord in all caps, Anywhere in the Old Testament, capital L-O-R-D, sometimes it kind of looks like it's been inserted in. That's the word for Yahweh. The old King James translators, because there were no vowels in the original Hebrew language, uh, it, you know, so you, you kind of had to be in the context to know what the word meant. And this caused confusion for a lot of scholars looking back on Hebrew because they didn't know the vowels. This is the Masoretic text. They, they didn't know for sure what the word was. Was there two vowels or three vowels? So the King James translators put an E-O-A uh, um, in there. And the Y became a J because it does in some languages. So it was Jehovah. But most people think it was A-E-H, Yahweh, Yahweh. And so this is his name. This is his memorial name. And he's revealing himself to Moses. And so when the people hear Jesus say, Yahweh, I am, Haya, but he's saying it in Greek. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. They would have heard Jesus saying who he really was. Now, they weren't picking up on it at first. They were getting little bits and pieces, and they might have been talking later, Peter and John saying, hey, did you hear what he said? Do you think he thinks what we think he thinks? What, is, what do you think he thinks, Peter? I think he's 
I think he's saying he's the Messiah. He is God. And I think this was the conversations going on among the disciples all along, especially between Peter, James, and John. Jesus was not just a good man. He never claimed to be just a good man. He claimed to be more than that. He claimed to be greater than Jonah. He claimed to forgive sins. He claimed to be greater than Abraham, greater than Solomon, greater than John the baptizer. He claimed to be greater than the temple and even greater than the Sabbath. And all these are references right out of the Gospels. He was not just a good person. He thought he was and he claimed to be God. In John 10, 33, the leader said, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So if you are talking to someone and they say, well, Jesus was just a good man, you could say, you know what? He was a good man, but that's not what he claimed. He claimed to be so much more. Somebody just told me they had uh, uh, some, uh, some young ladies come to their door the other day. And, uh, and, and knock on the door, and they were dressed very nicely. And he immediately recognized that they were probably of the, uh, of the Church of Latter-day Saints on mission to, to talk to him about being a Mormon. And so I said, oh, this, this is the kind of stuff I love. I said, I wish they'd come to my door. It came to my, the JWs, the Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door one day, but they'd never been back. And I, I try my best to be nice. But listen to me, folks. There's only one question you need to ask anybody from any religion who comes to your door. There's only one question you need to ask, and it's this question. Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? And some will tell you, oh, he was a, he was a divine being who, who came from God, who was... Uh, he had a brother named Lucifer, and he became a, he, he he actually became a god. He wasn't originally, but he became a god. They'll say lots of things. Some of them will say, "Well, he was a good teacher." Because of this, some will say he's a crazy fool. He's a crazy fool. If, if somebody in your life, this is the second thing he would say. If somebody in your life said, "Hey, I think I'm God." What would you say? You're a crazy fool. That's what you are. You're a crazy fool. You're like some megalomaniac, you know, who loves power and people are going to worship you. No, that's not, that's not what he, Jesus showed us. In Matthew 13, the Bible says, coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? And people became devoted to Jesus. They, you know, a... a a guy like Hitler or a guy like uh, uh, Stalin, some of these great world leaders, and we can name some today, but I don't want to, um, all they're interested in is themselves and power. And the, the people they attract are people who want power for themselves. Jesus didn't attract people like that, did he? He attracted adulterous women and sinful men. He attracted blind people and sick people. He attracted poor people, just regular people. And if you'll read first through third century Roman writings, you'll, you'll read where there are times when there were disease and plagues, and the Roman historians were pointing out that while the Roman citizens were leaving town, while they were running to escape the, the plague, 
Christians were staying put. Christians were coming in to care for the sick and the needy. So Jesus was not a crazy fool. He, he didn't get what crazy fools get. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Some say, then, okay, well, if he wasn't a crazy fool, he was very smart, but he was deceitful. He was a deceitful fraud. In other words, he tricked all those people. But think about that. You think about people in our day who've tricked people. They trick them out of money. They trick them, you know, some Ponzi scheme, or they, they talk them into investing in their cause or something like that. All, all, of, all of the tricksters and hucksters, they, again, they're in it for themselves. They want a life of luxury. Jesus didn't call people to a life of luxury. He called people to a servanthood and sacrifice. Matthew 9 says he had compassion on people. In AD 120, Quadratus, a Christian, Roman Christian historian, wrote this. He said, he, had, uh, he said, the works of our Savior were lasting, for they were genuine. Those who were healed and those who were raised from the dead were seen not merely while our Savior was on earth, but also after his death. They were alive quite a while, so that some of them lived even to our day. And so the point here is, is that if, if Jesus were just a fraud or a huckster, that wouldn't be true. Maybe you've seen some, we used to call them televangelists. Remember them? Televangelists? Anybody remember televangelists? How many remember Robert Tilton? Bob, you remember Robert Tilton? We love Robert Tilton, don't we? I mean, in, in, a, in a special kind of way. And the healings that take place at these places. I'm not saying God can't heal today. Don't hear that. God can heal whenever, wherever, and whomever, and however he chooses to. Amen? He doesn't need a man through whom to go. He, he doesn't need doctors or medicine, but oftentimes he uses that. Thank God for that. God could heal any way he wants to heal, but oftentimes these tricksters and hucksters fake the healings, and you find these people later, you know, they, 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 just follow, the, they follow the caravan, they get paid every service so that they can say that they were healed, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus healed known people who were known to be blind or known to be lame or known to be uh, uh, deaf and mute, and he healed them, and everybody knew it, and that healing lasted for a long time. Jesus didn't perform miracles to draw a crowd or make a name for himself. He was known for his lack of possessions. He said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, I'm going to read a quote to you that might be one of the most significant books that you could ever read on Jesus. It was written by C.S. Lewis, and it's in a book called Mere Christianity. And students, if, you, uh, if you're serious about your faith and serious about leading other people to Jesus, this might be a book you want to get into your, uh, into your toolbox. It's called Mere Christianity, and here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Was Jesus just a good man? No, he was a good man. Was Jesus a crazy fool? No, but Paul said he became a fool for Christ. Was Jesus just a deceitful fraud? No, but the Apostle Paul says beware of the devil's deceitful schemes. We can conclude, and I hope you'll stand and be able to discuss with someone that Jesus was God in human flesh. That's the only claim he made for himself. And that's the claim that others made about him. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 of John 1 says, the Word became flesh. I love John chapter 6. It just really, for me, paints a picture of, of formative moments in the lives of the disciples. And in John chapter 6, there's a, there's a uh, discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples about communion. Jed led us in communion this morning and, uh, and how important that is. And Jesus was talking there about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. <clears throat> this is John 6. And this was unusual for the people. It was like, whoa, what's going on? You know, first century people who weren't Christians accused Christians of being cannibals because Christians talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. It's weird. It's kind of weird to them. It's even weird to us, unless you know Jesus. He wasn't talking about actually eating his flesh. It was symbolic language. He talked about manna in the Old Testament, you know, where God provided the manna, the bread. And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And it was at that moment, one of the saddest verses in the Bible appears, John 6, 66. I don't think that's an accident. John 6, 66. And I think we have that on the screen. We didn't have it last. And it says this, from this time, when Jesus said, you got to eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood, or you can have no part of me. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Folks, this is how close, this is how close we were. So when lots of people laughed and said, man, this guy's a fool. He's crazy. We, we can't go with that. I mean, eat your flesh, drink your blood. You're talking about something we're not willing to go in for. You know, the, the, the Bible, even the Gospels, talk about when Jesus was talking, some people could understand and some people couldn't. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, we understand the things of Christ, the things of the Spirit, because we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit. And there's going to be times when you're talking to your friends about who Jesus is, they're just not going to get it. They're just not going to understand because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So you're going to have to kind of navigate those waters as best you can to get them to the point to where they want what you're, what you're telling them they can have through Jesus and so many disciples turned and left, and, and, and Jesus then turned to his disciples, the 12, his, his little school. It was common for a rabbi to have 12. He turned to them, and, and again, this is, this is how close potentially we were to Christianity never happening. Now, I say that, not really serious about that, but I want, I want, you, to, I want you to see the gravity of the moment all these people left because they couldn't take the teaching, and Jesus turned and said to them, he said, uh, 
You guys want to go too? Y'all want to leave too? The door's open. Now's your chance. Now's your chance. Go ahead. You know, the rich young ruler, Jesus, didn't chase after him and say, hey, we'll change the requirements. You, got, you don't have to sell everything. Just sell half of it. He didn't do that. He let him walk away. And I suppose if the disciples had said, yeah, man, this is too much for us. <laughs> we think you're a fool. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. But I love what Peter said. Peter saved the day. And who knows what the other 12 were thinking about. Who knows? Peter saved the day. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen? Peter came up with that. Thank God for Peter. Peter was right. Peter was right. And he was right there at Caesarea Philippi when he said, I know who you are. You're the son of the living God. Listen, folks, the answer to that question will determine everything for you. It will determine not just your eternal destiny, but how you live your life today. If you believe Jesus is who he said he was, who he claimed to be, it should make a difference in your life. So that's the only question remaining. Who do you say Jesus is? And will you follow him? I'll tell the story of a little boy who kind of became rebellious when he got to be about 12 years old and his parents couldn't do anything with him so they sent him to live with his grandparents. <clears throat> you know, we can do it. And grandparents took him in and he was still rebellious. He just wouldn't listen to anybody. And they had a little bird in a cage that they loved and cared for. Uh, and the little boy knew this and he was, he was going to show them going to show them. So he went out and he, he grabbed that bird in the cage before grandpa could stop him. And he ran out in the yard with grandparents following after him. Get, don't give us the bird. Give us the bird. And he was going to show them. So he held the bird behind his back. And he said, you guys think you're so smart. Tell me then, this little bird, is it dead or is it alive? And he had already made up his mind. If they said it was dead, he was going to free it and if they said it was alive, he was going to crush it. And the old grandpa straightened up and he said, son, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. And so I present to you today, what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to live it? If you don't answer this question, it's going to be for naught. Who is Jesus? And will you follow him? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through your word. And we thank you, God, for giving us your spirit. Yes, the three are one. We're, we're living in the, in the grace that you give us to live our lives with the knowledge of who you are, a full, a full knowledge, not as full as we'll have in heaven, but, but Lord, full enough to know who you are and that we should follow you. If there's one person here today, Lord, whether they're six or 66, and they've never named you as Savior, they've never claimed 
what is theirs by your blood and grace, what you offer to them, I pray today would be their day. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me tell you what you can do right now at the end of the service. This is our response time. And uh, this is a time for you as the Holy Spirit's been working in your life, on your heart, to do something about it. Now you could sit there and do nothing, and that's what most of us will do, except pray. We're going to pray about this. We're going to do better. We're going we're to live for Jesus. But I want to tell you, doing better won't gain his favor anymore, but uh, it will be good for you and your spouse and your neighbors. Or you could say, hey, you know, I've never trusted Christ for salvation. I don't know him. I've never made a public profession of faith. And today you might walk down the aisle and you can come to me or you can come over here to Jed and say, hey, I want Jesus as my Savior. And that'll be the, the, the start of your best day, best eternity option. And then we're going to ask you, hey, are you ready to be baptized today? You ready to follow it up? That's what they did in the New Testament when they came to believe. They, they followed it up with baptism. You know, baptism was the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry and the last thing he told us to do before he left the earth. And so we're going to ask you that if you're ready to do that. We want you to be ready to do that in obedience to him. You might come and just pray if you want to pray. You could come and stand up here and pray. We'll come pray with you. You could kneel. Uh, but those are the things you could do right now uh, in response to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart uh, through this message. So let's stand and sing. And if you have a decision, you come as we sing.